I want to thank you for your prayers, your cards, your texts, your calls while Kim and I were down and out with COVID. Thank you for that. Thank you to our leadership, our staff and church leadership for all that you do. For Brother Wayne for stepping up last week. Uh, love it. He, he never knows if he's going to get that text and how much time he's going to have. And I try to wait just, just, just to, to, you know, just to bless him. I wait as long as I can. No, I do appreciate him so much stepping up in that. Uh, Pastor Kevin mentioned some things coming up. I want to reiterate as we go into the Christmas season. Uh, tonight, of course, is our Hanging of the Green service, a very special time when we acknowledge the symbolism of the uh, elements we have at Christmas and which those ornaments in memory of and favor in uh, memory of and in honor of your loved ones, those you designate, we will hang on the tree for you and we'll We'll remember them tonight as well as we go into this Christmas season. Then, of course, next Sunday, Sunday morning focuses on our children with the children's Christmas music. Uh, we'll have a parent-child dedication, as Brother Kevin mentioned, and also receive an offering for the toy store. The Brunswick Baptist Association toy store ministers to families in need throughout our county in the Christmas season. And traditionally, what we have done as a church is bless them with an offering to go buy more toys in preparation. They share the gospel. There's always those who are counseled, always those who come to faith in Christ during the toy store at several of our churches. So pray about what God would have you to give. And then looking forward to the rest of the Christmas season. On the 10th is the uh, uh, Celebration Choir Cantata. Somebody say that's right because all of a sudden I said that out loud. It's the 10th, right? No, it's the 17th. Do you want to do it the 10th? I knew that didn't sound right. When I said it out loud, I knew that. So the 17th, so the 10th, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper, then the 17th. Then, of course, the 24th is Christmas Eve, and we'll have our, not only our 10.30, one service, 10.30 a.m., no Sunday school, one service that morning, then that evening, our annual Christmas Eve service that includes the Lord's Supper as well. Lots going on in the Christmas season. Plan now to participate and, uh, and, and be a part of all that we have going on. Coming out of the Thanksgiving season, I do hope you were blessed with Thanksgiving, spent time with friends or family, and, and especially spent time with the Lord. That's what Thanksgiving is about. We praise God for all that he's done in our lives and for who he is. We thank him for that. And I think in, in God's provision and God's providence, it's no accident that Thanksgiving leads right into the Christmas season. Uh, because, hear me on this, it's impossible to be truly thankful without a right perspective on God and on yourself. And as I'm going to say several times this morning as well, it's impossible to be truly thankful and truly prideful at the same time. And apart from a right relationship with God, we always gravitate towards self-centeredness and pride. So if you struggle with thankfulness, ask yourself this, is pride the problem? Is pride blocking your gratitude to God? We have to have a right perspective on ourselves and a right perspective on God to be truly thankful. And, and I hope that's true of you. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, the, uh, the soccer player, on uh, November 11 was playing in the, in the championship game, the National Women's Soccer League Championship, ending the season six minutes into the game. She tore her Achilles tendon. Uh, thus ending her participation in the championship game. And at the uh, post-match press conference, Rapinoe 
said, and I'm leaving out some colorful language, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a religious person or anything, uh, and if there is a God, like this is proof there isn't a God. That is to say, I don't believe in God, but if I did believe in God, the fact that I tore my tendon six minutes into the championship game is proof that there isn't a God. Uh, well, she doesn't really know God very well, does she? What she's saying is, it's all about me. And, and God, to be God and to exist, to prove that God exists, God must do what I want God to do. And God must make my life comfortable and let me do what I want to do. If that doesn't happen, that must mean there is no God. Pride and gratitude are incompatible. They can't work together. And if you don't have a right perspective on yourself, you'll never have a right perspective on God. In other words, as we say it many times, he's God and we're not. And that's the starting point for true gratitude and for a life of service to Christ. It's knowing who we are and knowing who he is. This morning, uh, as we transition out of the Thanksgiving into the Christmas season, keeping that, I want to keep that gratitude alive as well. We return this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have your Bible, find it with me. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you we will have to finish the letter of 1 Peter in 2024. So we'll do that early in 2024. Uh, but right now this morning we are in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 5. Now you'll recall from the last time uh, we were together in, in chapter 5, Peter has talked to the leaders, the shepherds in the church. And, and at this stage, he's bolstering the church that is living in a hostile culture. And he's giving us some reminders of what is necessary and what's required for a church to be healthy in a hostile culture. Now, it's no surprise because the, uh, the same characteristics are necessary for a church and a Christian to be healthy at any time. But it's particularly significant if we're living in a hostile culture that we pay attention to our spiritual health, both as believers in Christ and as a church. Uh, as healthy as we are as individuals, that's how healthy we will be as believers in Christ and as a church. So he's speaking to God's people and he's going to address them about uh, humility and grace and God's love as they live in this hostile culture. Coming out of that conversation about the shepherds and their leadership and their humility, Peter says in chapter 5 and verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Just as pride and gratitude are incompatible, pride and humility are opposites. And where the believer in Christ cultivates pride or operates out of pride, they are not pleasing God and they are not functioning in humility. It's, it's impossible to do that, so there is no gratitude in their lives. Instead, they're self-centered and they're focused. It's impossible to be prideful and practice faithful obedience to Christ. It's impossible to be prideful and be true, truly thankful to God. Uh, it, it's impossible to be prideful and to please God. Uh, notice a couple things about this passage. And you can see easily that, that Peter's focusing on humility 
and humility among believers in the body of Christ is a necessary and essential characteristic to be a healthy church in any time, but especially in a hostile culture. But notice a couple of things. First of all, the command to practice humility or to be humble tells you right away that humility is not something you accidentally practice. It's intentional. It's something you and I choose to do. We choose to be humble rather than prideful. We choose to be thankful. We choose to be humble. It's a choice we make, and it's intentional for every believer, and we are commanded to practice this particular character trait. It impacts us spiritually as believers, and it will impact us as the church. But here's the question. What does the Bible mean by humility in the first place? In the ancient world, humility was not a virtue. Humility was thought of uh, as a negative trait. If someone were told to be humble, uh, they expected slaves and servants to be humble. Uh, to, be, to be prideful, to be arrogant, to be in charge, that was a virtue in the ancient world. And that sounds vaguely familiar today, doesn't it? Because in our day and time, the person that's shouting the loudest, the person that's most prideful, the person that's most self-centered is the person that gets the most attention, gets the most shares, has the greatest platform. So when the Bible talks about humility, though, the Bible is not talking about being a doormat to the world. The Bible's not talking about letting people run all over you. In fact, in the Bible, humility is a chosen virtue. It's a biblical value. The humility the Bible teaches, as Peter teaches it here, and as we see it elsewhere in the New Testament, it speaks of perspective. To be humble is to truly grasp who you are in relation to who God is. That's what the Bible means by humility. To truly grasp who you are in relation to who God is. It's to understand what it means and meant to be a sinner saved by grace. It's to grasp what God has done for you on the cross. And in the bigger picture, it's to truly understand what it meant for Christ, God himself in human flesh, to come to earth, to be born in Bethlehem in poverty, to live a sinless life as a carpenter, to die as a criminal on a cross, and to be raised from the grave. All of this by his choice, demonstrating humility and the kind of humility that God desires. To put it another way, the Christian is rarely so Christ-like as when we are humble. When we intentionally choose to practice the character trait of humility and we understand its necessity in the Christian life and in the church, we become more Christ-like. And every time we choose not to be prideful, but to be humble, we are growing in our Christ-likeness, in our relationship with the Father. The New Testament, the Bible, consistently teaches this character trait for Christians. Now Peter is talking about it here by itself, but so that's how we're treating it, but don't, don't misunderstand it. It's a, it's a package of character traits, and humility is part of it. For example, the, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, teaching Christians how to be Christ-like, talking about having the same attitude as Christ had, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. So humility in the Christian life is to see yourself the way God sees you. And then we learn the practice of humility. The practical part of it is to consider others more important than yourselves, more significant than you. 
putting them ahead of you if necessary. Treating them with respect, treating them with grace, treating one another as Christ treats you. That's the practice of humility throughout the New Testament. So that kind of humility is necessary for a healthy church. Always, but in particular in a hostile culture. So let's return to this text for just a minute because I want to unpack for us for just a few minutes the reason that this kind of humility is so significant. Why is it that God commands us to practice humility among one another and in the body of Christ all the time to be a healthy church, but in particular when we are faced with a hostile culture? So look at this with me. The three reasons that I want to bring out that humility is necessary a necessity, a character trait of the Christian life that we intentionally choose to practice toward one another in the church. The first reason is humility acknowledges leadership. Humility acknowledges leadership. You'll recall in the previous passage, the Apostle Peter was talking to the shepherd leaders in the church. And he was talking to them, not, not as a dominant apostle figure, but as one of them. One of the shepherds, one of the elders, and he was instructing them to be sure that they shepherd the flock from a place of humility and a place of love. Uh, not compelled to do so, but willing to do so. Not giving oversight as an overlord or, or a dictator in the church, but leading them faithfully as one of them in the body of Christ. It's in that framework that we understand the next instruction he gives in verse 5. Because when he's going to instruct people in the church to practice humility toward leaders, remember the leaders he's talking about are leaders who are practicing humility toward the people and in their leadership. He's not talking about authoritarians or dictators or overlords in the church. He's talking about shepherds and deacons and leaders who understand humbly who they are in relation to who God is. So next he instructs the young men. And he tells the young men to be subject to the elders. Because the elders are the leaders. To be subject to those elders. Now why does he pick out the young men? Well there's a couple of reasons. One is these young men are eventually going to be the elders. They're eventually going to rise to places of leadership in the church if they're not already doing so. So he says right now you need a right perspective on leadership. And it starts with your humility. Also because the tendency of the young is to be prideful and sometimes toward the leaders. Last week, Brother Wayne, when he was bringing the word, he talked about the different stages of spiritual maturity and development. And he said there's that stage of spiritual development that we would call it adolescent development in which we tend to be driven by our emotions. We tend to make our decisions by our emotions. In a, in a spiritual context, what that means is we, we make decisions on the spur of the moment. We make decisions that benefit us. We don't worry about whether they benefit other people. Uh, we tend to make decisions based on getting what we want. And as we grow in Christ, we learn that's not a way to make decisions. And that's certainly not a way to have healthy relationships in the body of Christ. Every human being will always gravitate toward what makes them feel good. Everybody does that. We have to be careful in the body of Christ not to ask of our leaders all the time, pridefully, do what I want you to do. Do what 
makes me feel good, do what benefits me. And, and a leader who's humble before God knows they can't do that. They can't pick you out and make their decisions based on what makes you feel good. Uh, many, many years ago, we had a group of young adults in our church, wonderful young people. I love them. God bless them. Uh, uh, as a whole, they were pretty young in their faith. Uh, they, they either had recently been saved or recently joined First Baptist Church. They were on fire for Christ. They were excited about serving Jesus, and they wanted to study the Bible. Uh, and one morning after church, they asked me if I would meet with them right back there at the back. About five or six of them, we kind of gathered up. And the spokesperson for the group, a young man, said, I, we want to start a Bible study, and we want to have it here at the church. I said, that's great. And they said, what we want to do is we want to we invite people our age and want to sit around in the fellowship, and we want to uh, just read a scripture and talk about it and, and apply that however God leads us to apply it. Now, bear in mind, this is not a commentary on, on physical age. These just happen to be young adults. Because the point is here, they were not spiritually mature at this stage. But they were passionate, which is a good thing. So I said to them, well, let's, let's set up, first of all, let's schedule the Bible study. If you want to have it here, let's make sure, let's get you plugged in and everything. And then I said, and we'll, and we'll enlist a leader. I'll bring a leader alongside to start meeting with you guys. And the spokesperson interrupted me. He said, no, 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 we don't need leadership. We just want us to, to read a passage and see where that takes us. Now, there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, that was a very prideful statement. It didn't come from spiritual maturity, so it was not humble. There was not humility there. Remember, humility is a character trait we intentionally practice. So we, we strive for that. The second problem with it is he was intentionally rejecting leadership. And in rejecting the pastor's assessment of leadership for the situation. The third problem with it is I am responsible for what's taught in this church. So I just want to make sure they get started off right. That, that is my, that's my responsibility. I'm held accountable. God will hold me accountable for what's taught in this church, what's preached from this pulpit. So I want to be sure that we get started off right. I, it was not an indictment uh, on him in any way. It was just a statement of leadership. But he did not accept it with humility. And neither did any of the rest of them. The end result of that was they ended up taking their Bible study elsewhere. They refused to do it in the church and on the church campus because of that. What we have to watch out for when we do Bible studies, always, for all of us, at any stage, is looking for that which makes us feel good. And without, without guidance and leadership, that, that's kind of what we tend to do. Nobody posts on Facebook, this passage convicted me of my sin. I, I woke up this morning and read this. God kept me up all night when I read this passage of Scripture because he's talking about me. I'm the sinner. Nobody, nobody does that. Everybody posts on Facebook the passages that made them feel good. I'm not picking anybody out. No, you know, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying that's human nature. And we look for that from Scripture. But you know what does that? Pride does that. Pride does that. Pride seeks out what we want. So pride seeks out what we want from the leaders. Pride seeks out what we want from God, and we reject what we don't like. That's prideful. Humility acknowledges that God has established leaders in our lives. Listen to this. 
Humility acknowledges leadership. Pride produces rebellion, always. Pride always says, I want what I want. Humility says, lead me in what God wants me to do. So the first reason that humility is necessary is that in the leadership structure that God has designed for the church, we all must be humble and we all must listen to leadership and to mentors and pay attention to what God is saying and what God wants to do so we can grow together in Christ. Humility acknowledges leadership. Pride produces rebellion. Secondly, humility strengthens relationships. In the body of Christ, humility always strengthens relationships. Next, Peter says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's gone from talking to the shepherds, the leaders, and now he's talked to the young men about their relationship with those leaders. Now he's talking to everybody. All of you, he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Now that idea of clothing yourself with a character trait is deeply embedded in the ancient world. It's a wonderful metaphor. I wish we used it ourselves more often. We see it frequently in the Bible that we clothe ourselves with character traits. Now, this doesn't mean, and the image of the ancient world doesn't mean putting on your t-shirt and pulling on your pants. To clothe yourself in the ancient world was to robe yourself. It was to wrap yourself entirely, to drape a full body robe over you, and sometimes to put another garment on on top of that. It's to completely immerse yourself in that character trait. And frequently the Bible teaches to do that. You've got to get rid of another character trait. If you are wearing, for example, pride, if that's what you're clothed in, you have to take off your pride and put on your humility. When you got up this morning to come to First Baptist Church, how many of you got dressed accidentally? You said, oh, I'm dressed. I, I, no, I, I don't know how that happened. Of course not. You have to dress intentionally. You have to clothe yourself intentionally. It's the same with character traits, including humility. You have to intentionally say, I will do this. Who should do this? Peter says, all of us should do this. All of you intentionally remove your pride and clothe yourself in humility. Why do that? For everyone. It's for the benefit of the body, your humility toward one another, he says. You behave in humility toward one another. In the same way that humility acknowledges leadership, but pride produces rebellion, Humility strengthens relationships. Pride produces division, always. Pride produces division because there is that person in the mix of the body of Christ saying, I want it my way. I am always right. I will not listen. I will do what I want to do. Pride produces division because pretty soon people are arguing. Prideful people argue. Humble people listen. And just in case we don't get it, how this impacts all of our relationships, Peter quotes Proverbs chapter 3. And by the way, James quotes this same verse in the book of James. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The term resist is an active verb. It means that if you are a prideful person, God is actively resisting what you want. 
So you have to press on with your pride. You, you start getting angry. You start getting frustrated. You might, might start deciding, I've got to go to a different church. I'm not getting what I want. And what you don't realize is that God never sides with the prideful. There's not an instance in which God says, I'm so glad that you're prideful. Instead, the person of humility experiences, the term grace here can mean favor of God. God looks upon that humble person with favor and grace. God sides with the humble. And because the humble get to see God work, because the humble know who they are and who God is, because the humble have given in to the things of God and said, God, it's not about me getting my way, it's about God doing what only God can do. And that's what I want to see happen. I want to see God at work in my life, in the life of my church. Humility always strengthens our relationships. In humility, we listen to each other. In humility, we, we love on each other. In humility, we learn from each other. We have a gentleman in our church who I'm, I'm not going to name him because it would embarrass him. He's a very quiet, humble man. Uh, I've known him the whole 18 years I've been here. And many years ago, he disagreed with me about something. A decision, I couldn't tell you now what it was, but a decision that, that I had made or, or led the church to make. Don't, re don't recall exactly what it was. What I do remember, though, is that instead of fostering division, Instead of being prideful, instead of saying that's wrong, instead of gathering up uh, his Sunday school class or his committee or someone to say, we need to change this, he called me up and he said, hey, can I come and talk to you? I said, sure. Sat down in my office, quietly explained to me what he didn't understand, quietly asked me to explain this to him. Now, what was interesting was, as I began to explain it, I started seeing how it was this could have been a problem. And started in conversation with him, seeing some things about that decision that I needed to go back and change. We prayed together. Nothing's changed between us. Humility makes us teachable. Humility means we listen to each other. We pray together. Humility means sometimes you don't get your way. But humility means if we're all practicing humility, God gets his way. And that's what matters most. And then last, humility fosters faith. Humility fosters faith. If you want to grow in your, your faith, humble people grow in their faith. They, they trust God, and they trust God more and more because they see God work. Remember, it starts with, I know who God is, and I know who I am, so I trust God with whatever I'm facing. Notice how Peter has wrapped up these relationships so well. The relationship with our leaders, the relationship with each other, now we're back to our relationship with God. He stated that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, so how should I relate to God as a, a person of humility? How should I relate to God? Here's what he says. He's still talking to all the believers. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Everybody, Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Uh, here there's an image change just a little bit. Uh, the image change hails back to the Old Testament. The phrase, the mighty hand of God, 
is a great Jewish Old Testament phrase that came right out of the Exodus. It, it pictures God as our mighty deliverer, the powerful force. And it only takes the hand of God on our side for God to do his work in our lives and in our church. And in a hostile culture, we need to remember, God is our deliverer. God is our deliverer. The mighty hand of God, we submit to him and his mighty hand. Humble yourselves, therefore, Peter says, uh, is actually a military image in this passage. It pictures rank and subordination. Basically, he's saying God is your commanding officer. God is your general in this battle in the world, whatever you're facing. God is the one in charge. You are subordinate in the ranks. So humble yourself. You can't take charge when he's in charge. You know who you are. You know who he is. So follow God's leadership. Submit yourself to him. Humble yourself to him. And when the time is right, when that season, the word translated time in this passage means the right season. When things pass that God wants to pass. When things come about that God wants to come about. When you have followed God how he wants, to follow, you want, he wants you to follow him. He will exalt you in that proper season. Another way to put it, keeping that same image, he will promote you when the time is right. Prideful people promote themselves. Prideful people exalt themselves. Prideful people say, God, this is my time. I'll let you know if I need you. Humble people say, I will follow you. Whatever you want me to do. And I'll let you decide in what season to raise me up. To honor yourself through my life. With that perspective, that, that right perspective. The question might come, so, so Peter, how is it exactly, daily, in and out, that I can humble myself before God, be subordinate to Him? How can I do that? Well, the answer is the next phrase, casting all your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Because He cares for you. That last sentence is probably the simplest sentence you could read out of this whole passage, if not in the whole letter of 1 Peter. Because it means exactly what it says. He cares for you. It could be translated, you matter to him. Carry that home today. Why does God take care of you? Why does God want you to see him work? In your life? Why does God want to use you in the grand scheme of the work of God? Because you matter to Him. It would be real easy to say, to, to misunderstand humility before God to mean, I don't matter. I don't matter. God's going to do what He wants to do. He doesn't care about me. And so Peter basically points his finger at you and says, don't, don't do that. God's doing what he does because he cares for you. You matter to him. So here's what you do, Peter says. Actively casting. That's why the word's translated that way. Actively casting all your cares on him. You know he cares for you. You know you matter to him. So here's what you do day in and day out. When the pressure's on, actively cast your cares on him. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is pridefully taking your cares on you.
humility fosters faith. Pride produces worry. Because pride says, I've got to handle this. I've got to do this. I've got, I've got to worry about the future, worry about things I can't control. I read not long ago, do you know that 12, only 12% 12 of the things we worry about will ever happen? But still we worry. Because our pride says, I've got to take charge of this. But when we humble ourselves before our God, we actively are casting, and, 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 and the, the phrase is very definitive. That worry comes to mind, cast it on him. The word translated cares is anxiety. Whatever makes you anxious, whatever makes you worry, you don't take that on yourself. You actively cast it on your God because he cares for you. I, every person in here at some time or another, if not right now, we worry about stuff. We do. We're anxious about stuff. Maybe it's something right now going on in your life. Usually, a lot of times, those, those, those are things we can't control. Admit it. You, you really have no control over it. Why is it that that makes us worry even more? You know why? Because suddenly we forget He's God, and I'm not. Patrick Smith is an airline pilot, commercial pilot. He wrote an article for Business Insider several years ago, uh, and he talked about the difference in perspective between passengers and pilots when turbulence happens on a plane. Any of y'all ever been on a commercial aircraft and turbulence hit, and you got a little bit jittery? Not, not liking this, Right? You start gripping your seats just a little bit. You start praying just a little more. And even non-Christians are suddenly converted when that turbulence hits. You check on your children. You make sure the, the, the flight attendants are not in a panic. At least they look like they, they're okay, and yet they're up there strapping themselves in. You start thinking about those instructions I should have listened to. When is it those masks come dropping down? And he knows, as a pilot, he said, I know what's going on back there in the cabin. I know they're worried. I know they're anxious. But he said, pilots know what's really going on. He said, pilots are not like the passengers. Pilots never worry about turbulence. He said, what passengers view as terrible turbulence, pilots view as a simple inconvenience. It's just uncomfortable. Because he said, pilots know the wings aren't going to fall off. plane's not going to crash to the ground. He said, this is, just, this is just a Tuesday at work. It's just how it goes. He said, while you're back there gripping the seats, he said, because of television and movies, most passengers think the pilots are up there and their, their brows are sweaty and they're gripping the controls and they're barking orders at each other and they're calling the tower and they're wondering if they should turn around. He said, far from the truth, most of the time we're sipping orange juice, having a great talk, just bumping along because that's what we know. What we know to be true, he said, is everything's okay. Everything's okay. And he said, we always remember our job is to get the passengers from point A to point B. And sometimes, he says, yes, yeah, sometimes we will go up in altitude. He said, we don't do that for safety. We do that so you won't spill your coffee. Because everything's fine. 
Isn't it good to know the pilot knows what they're doing? Isn't it good to know the pilot's done this before? Isn't it good to know and good to remember that the experience you are having that you don't know anything about, the pilot is trustworthy and he knows exactly what comes next. Isn't that good to know? Casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You matter to him. Everything you're going through right now, every worry that you have, the moment you say, God, I, I can handle this, is the moment you revert to pride. Pride always produces worry. But humility fosters faith. Turn that around and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm casting my anxiety on you. You take it. And I would point out, Peter says, all of your anxiety. You don't get to decide those things that you say, bah. I don't need God for this. No. That worry trickles in. Don't pridefully keep it on yourself. Cast it on God. Your Heavenly Father can take care of you. He can. So what are our, our directives here this morning? Pretty simple, really. Let God check your heart. If there's pride there, ask His forgiveness. Start intentionally practicing humility toward one another starting with remembering every day, all the time, who I am, saved by grace, a sinner that God saved because he loved me, who he is. He is my God. He's my God, and he can handle this. And then whatever worry, anxiety you might have, intentionally cast that humbly on him. It's okay to say, God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't think I can handle this. God, you are my Father. I'm going to give this to you. And then do it in humility. Let him have it. And let God work through your situation, through your life, through your worries, to bring about his perfect plan. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are in this place today, and no doubt many of us, God, have worries and concerns, pressures, some of which may arise because we're living in a hostile culture. Maybe we're in a hostile work environment. Maybe we came out of Thanksgiving, breathing a sigh of relief because being with family can be an environment of hostility. God, maybe our worries and our anxiety and our concerns have more to do with our finances, have more to do with medical issues, have more to do with facing 2024 and not knowing what comes next. God, whatever these issues are, whatever burdens we have, God, how I pray we would cast those on you today. Father, I pray you would teach us to practice humility. God, forgive us for our pride. May we practice humility toward you, our God. May we remember, Father, who we are and who you are as our God. And may we bow to you today. I pray for our relationships in our church, our relationships in our family. I pray, God, for whatever concerns us or disturbs us or burdens us. I pray, God, for our own growth in Christ that we would yield to you and, and listen to you. Take opportunity, Father, to grow in grace. I pray, God, for us to practice intentionally the humility that we so need right now. And, God, there's some in this room and at home, Father, that need to respond to Christ today. Maybe there's one or two that have never trusted Jesus as their Savior. Let this be the day right now 
going into this Christmas season, let this be the day that they give their lives to Jesus Christ, to follow Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray for other decisions we might need to make. Maybe it's to join fellowship with First Baptist Church. Maybe it's to come to the altar and pray and unburden ourselves. Maybe it's to recommit our lives to following Christ. Whatever it is, Father, whatever decisions we need to make or we've already made, God, I pray we would follow through with those decisions today. And God, I pray you would be blessed with our response. You would be blessed, God, as we humbly yield to you today. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.